listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Move into the, uh, the reading of the word, and today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. If you have a, uh, your phone, oh sorry, excuse me, 1 first, first Corinthians, I apologize, I was turning to 2 Corinthians. 1 uh, Corinthians chapter number 10, if you have a Bible or your phone. And we're going to be in verses 23 through 31. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Um, and when I'm done reading, I'm going to say, uh, this is the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite you to respond with thanks be to God. And we're going to start in verse 23. The Bible says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is said before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is from uh, a sacrifice, do not eat it. Out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, brother. How you guys doing this morning? Doing all right? It's good to be with you guys. I, I always just am so excited for every Sunday. Um, if I haven't got to meet you yet, I would love to meet you. My name is Samir, one of your pastors here, um, and it's such a joy to serve you and serve the body here together. Um, Story City Church, just want to give a quick heart of who we are. But we exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. So what does, that, what does that mean? Each of us has a story. Your story matters as we build community. We learn how to apprentice Jesus and appreciate people's stories and how to walk with one another in the process. So your story matters to God and to us. I'm excited to continue our series in 1 Corinthians. We've been in this series, uh, and we've been coming across some pretty fun and exciting passages uh, that a lot of us, if we just read on our own and we had no context, would be like, what in the world is going on in Corinth? Um, and so the hope is, is that through it, you get a better understanding of, first of all, how to create an understanding of the context of Scripture and how you can read it for yourselves, and also, what is God saying to us in our current time in a book that was written over 2,000 years ago, which is wild, right? And so I'm excited to continue it today in 1 Corinthians 10, just like Jonathan read for us. And before I do that, I want to start us off in prayer. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your kindness to us, um, that you've put together your word 
for us to grasp. This was written by those filled with your spirit thousands of years ago, and yet it is so powerful and effective and transformative for us today and now. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, we are here together in unity to hear from you, to exalt you, and to put you at the center of our life. Bless this time, and will you preach and speak to us. May I decrease so you may increase. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to read again. I know Jonathan just read it, but I want to read again, and I want us to read it in the context of the Corinthian church, uh, a lot of things that's been going on there, um, and I want to read it through, and I want to give us a good context description, and that might take a little time, but it's important, okay? I know it might seem like, oh, history, and what's happening then? It can seem boring for some, but the important part is that how it speaks to us today is vital for us to grasp the history of why he's saying these things. Because if we just read it straight up, it seems confusing. So I want to read it. Uh, the title, the, the, pot, the top part of this section in my Bible, it says Christian liberty. So this idea of freedom in Christ. Let me read it one more time. Everything is permissible. That means you're allowed to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food from a, is from a sacrifice, do not eat it. Out of the consideration of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by the, any other person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? Sounds like Paul is just going back and forth here with himself. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So I added a little bar at the end there because I think it fits so well with our context today. And so I want to give us a little context. I want to give us an understanding of what's happening here. Okay, so Paul here, he's addressing a concern for three people groups. Right? There's three people groups trying to do life together and he's recognizing this issue. Okay, it's the Greeks who are worshiping idols. This is the Greeks of that time. They're worshiping idols. They're practicing pain rituals, which are things like sacrificing animals to these gods, these idols, right? And then the second group is the Gentiles who have become Christians, right? They have this lifestyle of pagan living in the past, but today they're like, we're Christians, and how do we now respond to this 
tension with my former way of living. So that's the second group. They're Christians now. And then the third group is the Judaizers. These are the religious Jews that have become Christians. They have a history of religious law in the Old Testament, in the law, and now they become Christians and they're trying to figure out how do I do this right? How do I live in my understanding of this life? So you can see that there's a cultural and religious clash happening in the midst of this conversation. Paul is writing to them because he's trying to help them understand how to live as Christians, as the freedom that they have in Christ, but also not subdue themselves to something that is of other gods or other ways of living or other beliefs. And so this is Paul's response to that. Another part that's really important is that the civic and cultural centers of that day were the pagan temples. And so when people, when the church began to grow, they would get invited and they would invite people to eat and they would go eat where? At the temple, at the pagan temple. So there's this interesting aspect of Christians going into the pagan temples and this is where the, um, the temple uh, priests of that time would sacrifice the idol, the food to the idol, and that they would have leftovers and sell the food in the temple. And so Paul's now addressing this concern like, do we buy this food? Do we eat this food? They're, they're having a concern in their soul of what they should and shouldn't do. So that's, that's an interesting piece. So there's a tension between all three of these religious perspectives, right? There's a restriction that comes into play. And Paul is exclaiming now that, hey, wait a minute. We are free in Christ. You as a Christian are free. And then he goes in describing what does that even mean. But before we get into what that means, we have to know what the restrictions were, especially for the Jewish people of that time, the people that were Judaizers or those that pushed the Jewish culture, the push the Jewish beliefs onto Christians saying that you have to abide by these laws in order to be a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It's not how it works. What are those laws? What are those areas? And I want to talk about those really quickly. There are three main laws of the Old Testament, of the, of the old tradition, the old covenant that is important to grasp in this. Three, moral, three laws. The first one is the moral law. Second one is the ceremonial law. And the third one is the sacrificial law. Law. All right, these are vital because these were all laws where God uh, was creating so that people, his people, can have relationship with him if they abided by those laws. What are those laws? The moral law was about our hearts, right? It included laws like Deuteronomy 6.5, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And also like the Ten Commandments, which all of us know, right? This is where the moral law lives. The ceremonial law was about the holiness and purity and included laws like Deuteronomy 14, 3 through 7. I'm not going to read all of it, but it says you must not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat. And then he goes and lists animals that they can and cannot eat. So there was a restriction. So this is kind of like, oh, I can see why the Judaizers were concerned about what they ate in this scenario. He lists them. And then he says, these are unclean for you. Don't eat them or else you'll be defiled. So these were, these were the ceremonial laws that they had to abide by. And then the third one is the sacrificial law. 
which was about atoning for our sins and included laws like Leviticus 4, 3 through 4. Reads, reads this. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt upon the people, he is to present to the Lord a young, unblemished bull as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and slaughter it before the Lord. So these are the ways in which people were made right before God. These laws had to be put in place for them to be seen and recognized and embraced by God because God is holy. God is set apart. So this offering, this sacrificial offering, this was a way in which people, people's sins were forgiven. This is so, so important for us to grasp. It's important for the context, but it's also important for the believer. Those that claim to be Christians have to know this because it matters for what happens next. So now you, you can probably see the argument now, right? You can see the struggle, the tension between those three parties, right? They're like, how do we do this? How do we figure out how to live together with these sacrificed animals that aren't sacrificed to Yahweh? They're sacrificed to these other gods. What do we do? Do we eat it? Do we not eat it? Do we hang out with non-believers that believe this? Do we eat with them? How do we walk in this? Some of them have no issue at all eating these things, right? And some of them had a major issue, and this was the concern. So Paul's argument in chapter 8, which is our original text, but we felt like chapter 10 gives us more context on how to describe it. But chapter 8, he starts going into this idea of idols and how do you respond to the food that was sacrificed to the idols. His argument was that there is no such thing as other gods or other lords or other idols. Because people just come up with that. It's all fake. This is what he kind of says in chapter 8. Because the real God is only one God, which is Yahweh God. So who cares? Doesn't matter if they sacrifice these foods. It's no big deal. Eat it. Buy the food. It doesn't matter. It's fake anyways. But instead of just leaving it there, Paul then wants us to consider how our choices bring people towards Jesus or away from Jesus. This is the vital part of this section of scripture. How then do I live? Okay, this makes like, this context is like, okay, this has nothing to do with us. This is way back then. How does that affect me today? I think it does tremendously and I wanna hopefully get into that. And so our big idea for today, is that freedom in Christ elevates God and enriches others. Freedom in Christ elevates God and enriches others. How do we live in that freedom in Christ? How do we live in that way where God is elevated and where others are enriched? I want to do two things. I want to do it a little differently. Instead of just giving you guys points, I want to actually answer the questions. How does our freedom in Christ elevate God? And then I want to answer the question, how does our freedom in Christ enrich others? Okay? So the first question, how does our freedom in Christ elevate God? The first way, this is the most important one out of all of this, is that he made a way for our freedom. He made a way. So it's all about him. The only way we have freedom is because of Jesus. 
Jesus, in Revelation, he is called the lamb that was slain, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus said that he didn't come to get rid of the law, the law that we just talked about. He didn't come to get rid of it. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it. That's a big difference. So we don't look at the old covenant law and be like, ah, that's, that's fake, that's not real, that's, that's old news. No, 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 we look at it in the eyes of Jesus and say, no, but Jesus came to fulfill it. He perfected it. Matthew 5, 17 and 18, this is Jesus' words. He said that, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. But to fulfill it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke of a letter, not the smallest letter or the stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus is not coming because, oh, God made a mistake and he's trying to fix it. He's coming and saying, no, I am now the fulfillment of that entire law. I've perfected it. So Jesus now has become the fulfillment of all three of those laws. All three of those laws that actually kept us from having direct relationship with God because we had to make sure we ate all the right things. We had to make sure that we sacrificed all the, all the goats and the, all whatever we needed to sacrifice, the animals that had to shed their blood in order for us to be forgiven, to come before God. All of those kinds of laws are actually now fulfilled in Jesus that we don't have to walk in them that way because he was and is sinless he is the one and only perfect fulfillment of the moral law he fulfilled it because he was and is perfectly holy and pure he is the perfect fulfillment of the ceremonial law And because he was the sinless, unblemished sacrifice, he is the perfect fulfillment of the sacrificial law. Because of this, he has freed us from following the law for the purpose of being holy, sinless, and pure. That it's not on us anymore to be holy, sinless, and pure. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore because he is the perfect living sacrifice. We don't need to rely on ceremonial cleansings or or things not to eat or to eat because we have been cleansed by his blood. That's why he shed it. That's why he shed his blood. See, if God, we have to realize this, if if God did not make a way for this to be possible, we would be bound to these religious laws and duties just to be right with God. That we would be tied to this, like every single day we'd have to be concerned about what can I eat, what can't I eat? I don't wanna disobey God. How do I, I just sinned, I messed up, I screwed up, I need to find a goat to kill. I mean, this was a real issue, this was a concern. And Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the hero of the story. He is the hero. We now find our salvation, our rightness, our oneness with God in the satisfaction of the moral law. Not through our efforts, but through the person and work of Jesus. 
This is why he is so vital. It's not about how good you can do. It's not about how right you can be. It's about surrendering to the one who is king. It's about surrendering to the one who's already done it all for us. Romans 7, 6 says it so well. But now we have been released. This is the Bible, guys. It's not me. This is the Bible. God's word. But now we have been released from the law. Not tied to it. Released from the law. Since we have died to what held us, which is our sin and and the abiding things that took us down, so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Who provided that for us? Jesus. Jesus. So our freedom elevates God so simply because he made the freedom possible for us. We have freedom now because of what he has done for us. Nothing that we have done for what he has done. And the second answer to that question is our freedom brings him glory. Our freedom brings him glory. Verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whether you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat, drink, play, hang out, work, whatever you do, all of it for his glory. Because the very purpose of Jesus fulfilling the entire law is that you and me can be near with him and so that we can enjoy the freedoms of this life that it brings us. He created things for us to enjoy. They were made for us to enjoy. He put these things in place. So eat, drink, or whatever you do. The pleasures of this world in the intent that God had ordained them to be enjoyed. That's very important. There is an order and way God has intended the things of this world to be enjoyed. And he's saying, enjoy them. Eat, drink, enjoy. In light light of what I've allowed you to, to walk in. That doesn't harm others, right? But it actually brings him glory when we enjoy them. Galatians 5.1, it's a beautiful verse. If you don't remember anything, this is a one to remember, a verse that you can memorize. For freedom, Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. At this section, he's talking about circumcision and don't like worry about that whole yoke that keeps you from freedom. Don't worry about how that used to go. Like live in freedom because it's a freedom that God has set you free. So if anyone tells you that you need to equate this formula or that formula, you need to eat this and not that, you need to do this right and this wrong in that way, do you remember this verse? That it is for freedom that Christ set us free. He already perfected all of these restrictions so that I don't need to. So that you don't need to. Obviously all within the confines of our original intent. Alright, so he is glorified. He is elevated through our freedom in him because he made the freedom possible. And it brings him glory. 
Second question, how does our freedom then in Christ enrich others? How does it enrich others? How does it help others? How does it lift others up? 32 through 11, one says, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, our freedom builds trust to love well. See, now we have a freedom in order to build trust with others so that we can love them well. If any, verse 27, if any unbeliever, I love this passage, this verse. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go eat, ev- and you want to go eat everything that is before you, everything that they put in front of you, eat it, drink it, whatever it is, without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Like, th- you have freedom. There's no reason to feel guilty about what they're going to put in front of you. That's what Paul's telling them. Eat it all. Have a seat at the table of the unbeliever. Have a seat before them. Eat with non-believers. Eat with all. Don't just eat, but eat everything that's put in front of you. You see, I didn't receive an ear, my, the ear of my friends that are non-believers until I had a beer with them. Like, they, I had to find a place with them to know, like, hey, I'm, I'm here. Like, I want to eat with you. I want to drink with you. I want to be with you. I'm not a divided, secular, and sacred person. I'm not trying to divide myself from you. I'm with you. And Paul is saying that. Eat with them. If they invite you, go. Be with them. Eat with them. Have a drink with them. Be Christ to them. The issue is that we get so lost in this secular and sacred divide. First of all, it's a man-made religious barrier that keeps us from sitting at the table of hurting and broken people. This whole sacred, and, and where does that even come from? Like, it's not in scripture. Sacred and secular, like, that's not discussed. This divide has alienated and hindered our witness. So I'm actually challenging us to break those walls. Because guess what? I'm not asking. Jesus was the perfect example of this. Jesus was the perfect example of breaking and shattering these secular slash sacred divide. In Mark 2, 15 through 17, I'm using the New Living Translation for this because it brings some cool emphasis in that I think is helpful. Just look at how Jesus lived his life and how this secular and, and, and sacred divide does not exist in his context. It says, later, Levi, which is Matthew, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Guys, these aren't believers. These aren't people that are like, oh, I believe in Jesus. Hey, can I follow you? Like, these are just random sinners, tax collectors, saying, come eat with me. And, and what does Jesus do? He goes and eats with them. And then it says, along with many tax collectors and other distri- uh, disreputable sinners... So it wasn't just Matthew that was a tax collector and was looked at down upon in that culture. It was a bunch of his buddies who were living it up, who were living in sin. A bunch of them. And then it also puts in, th- in uh, 
parentheses, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that because it's so true. Verse 16, but when the teachers of religious law, here comes the people that created this secular divide thing. These people came, these religious rulers uh, um, who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is the wonderful Jesus, the gracious, kind, loving Jesus that we live and surrender our lives for. He goes and eats and drinks with sinners. There's no such thing as this divide for him. Don't be deceived by the chains of slavery that man-made religion tries to put on us. Don't be deceived by it. That's what Paul's trying to say. He's like, don't get all cut up with all that, that law stuff. Like, Jesus came for your freedom so that you can be at the table with those that don't know, that don't know him and that you can be the light for them. And you can show him the way Jesus did. He showed him himself by going and eating and drinking with them. So go do the same. This is, what he's, this is what he's saying. So now we are free to eat and drink as we please. But also, guess what? We are free to also choose to abstain whenever it's necessary. We have the freedom to abstain. That's true freedom. Second way we enrich others is our freedom empowers us to abstain when necessary. Just like we saw in verses 28 and 29. You see, we have this freedom now to serve others well. We are not chained to one thing or the other. We can choose one or the other. We can freely choose to indulge or to enjoy or to abstain from anything, even to be able to give up our own rights when necessary so that we can gain or grow others. Wow. There's something significant about what Jesus has done for us to be able to live in this life knowing that we have the freedom to enjoy and to, and to bring God glory through the things he's been experiencing for, but also to say, actually, this is probably not a good idea because I don't want my brother or sister to stumble here. I want to show them the true light of Christ in this moment, and I think this is the best way. See, there's those that might be offended by some of our freedoms. Like, it's just a reality, and this is what Paul's addressing. Or would cause them to be confused because of their tender or wavery beliefs, because of what they've come from, because of their past, or because of their experiences and the pains and the hurts they've been through. Like knowing those in front of you is so important to whether I can, actually I can, I can work in this freedom, I can live in this freedom in this moment, or I can actually live in the freedom to abstain in this moment because I know it'll harm this person. keeping them from stumbling or being confused. 
Back to verse, uh, chapter 8, Paul writes this so well. He says, however, this is not up here. Sorry, I put this in last minute. However, I just thought it fit, fit so well. Not everyone has this type of knowledge of freedom he's talking about. No one, not everyone grasps this understanding of our freedom in Christ. Some have been so used to be to the idolatry upon until now that they eat and, 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 and take food sacrificed to an idol. Their conscience now is being weakened and defiled because they eat of this food. Food will not bring us close to God, and we will not be worse off if we don't eat it. And we are not better if we do eat it. But be careful that this right of yours, this freedom of yours, is no way becoming a stumbling block to the weak. So in our freedom, like, it's like, it's like Spider-Man, right? Like those that have, what is that, what is his saying? You guys remember? I know you'd come through. With great power comes great responsibility. Right? Like we have this freedom. There's this power that God has given us through his freedom. It takes great responsibility to recognize when it's time to, to enjoy and when it's time to abstain. So our freedom actually empowers us to refuse our freedom of, or for a moment, dependent on the scenario. For the sake of loving others well. See, that's true freedom. That's true freedom, when you can decide. When you can recognize a moment and live in it. Rather than always being chained to a thought or a reality that you can't choose from. Whether it's sin, or whether it's this moral law that chains us down to think that it's up to us to make a way. So I want to close. What, what does that mean? Then? What, what does this all mean to me? What does that have to do with me? So some of us didn't know that we have this freedom. Some of us were like, wow, that's kind of new to me. Like, is that what it says in the scriptures? Like, Jesus lived that way. Like, literally. He, he, he made a way and a path for us to understand it, and Paul is helping them grasp it through this situation. You need to know that you have freedom in Jesus, for those that didn't realize it. You have freedom in him. That he made a way through, it, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection that he is enough. He is more than enough so that you're not having to be bound by this law of moral, of cleansing, and of sacrificial. Some of us know that we have freedom, but we don't know what it's for and how to use it. Right, it's kind of like a little hazy and confusing. But we need to ensure that our freedom is building up others and is bringing God glory. So if you're still kind of like working that out, just know, are those two things happening within your freedom? Am I bringing God glory? Am I enjoying the things he has created for me to enjoy in a healthy way? And am I able to help others grow and, and draw closer to Jesus by, because of my freedom? And some of us simply forgotten to be thankful for our freedoms. To view our freedom not as something we have earned, but as an undeserved special gift from God, as a way to find pleasure in Him and a way to lead others to Him. What a beautiful thing. 
today. I don't know where you are personally this morning, but I want to encourage you to live well in your freedom in Christ. Live well in your freedom in Christ. Because freedom in Christ elevates God and enriches others. And so for those of you that are here this morning that haven't started apprenticing or following this Jesus that we just described, but you want to know more, or for those of you who have started to following Jesus and started realizing that, man, I want to walk this out, but you haven't taken those next steps of baptism to represent to the world of what God is doing in you outward and saying like, I am committing to this walk with Jesus through baptism. I encourage you to simply go to the next steps table or to fill out a QR code and let us know because our next baptism day is April 30th and we'd love to walk with you in that. One of our team members in Pink Lanyards can help you as well uh, in how to walk through that. So I want to lead us right now in a time of response to this freedom that we have in Christ, this joy that we have in Christ, this, this magnificent reality because he made a way for us to live in. There's, two, there's three things that we're going to do in response. We're going to pray for you, for those that want pray, prayer. We're going to walk into communion together, and we're going to worship God through song. And so if you need prayer this morning, if this message kind of hits you in a certain way, or you're like, I want to recommit this understanding of my freedom and actually walk it in a healthy way, we love to pray for you. We have prayer leaders on the side that have a pink lanyard. We love to pray for you at that moment. And then we're going to walk in communion together. See, guys, communion, we do it every week for this reason. Guess what? Our freedom comes and is a reality because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He shed his blood. He is the cleansed, the holy lamb of God once and forever. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. And we take communion to remember him and to remember the reality of what he has done. We take the elements of the bread and the juice to represent his broken body and his blood that was shed. And we say, thank you for what you've done so that I can have freedom for my salvation, freedom for who I am in you, and freedom to live in this world to bring you glory and to love others well. What a great joy that is. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion. For those that haven't done communion with us yet, we usually go up back, grab, grab elements, and come back to our seats and take communion, usually with a family member, someone you know. If you, if you want prayer uh, while you're taking communion, we'd love to pray for you in that time. Uh, let me pray for us, and then after the communion time, we're going to worship God and thank Him for freeing us. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you made a way for our freedom, that you made a way so that we can live in this life with joy, great satisfaction, and also the freedom to abstain when we need to abstain because of your glory and because of your people to know you. We know that it's not easy to always distinguish when and what to do at every moment. And it really is impossible without your power, without your spirits leading. So God, we pray that you empower us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us and renew us and empower us to live in this life for your glory and for the good of others. Will you give us wisdom? Will you give us boldness and courage to love well, to receive you? Or even to take that step of baptism, God, it takes courage, it takes your power and your spirit to even give us the opportunity to believe in you. 
God, as we take communion today, we, we remember what you've done, Jesus, on the cross, that you are the perfect son of God. You are the perfect lamb of God that was sacrificed for our freedom. As we partake, God, may we bring our hearts before you in, in gratitude, in surrender, in confession, and in joy because you've done it. We love you, Lord, and we exalt you in Jesus' name. This time is for you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.